of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 554. Jason Lingren is with me, and Mario from Symbolic Studies is joining us. You may remember we recently had him on for an episode where it was primarily centered around the North Star to make a pun. Uh, we're going to, I guess, get into the Zodiac primarily. And interestingly enough, the side of the Zodiac that corresponds with fall. So it'll be interesting. I'm always interested in unique perspectives and ideas that are outside the norm with regard to the Zodiac and the symbology. There's a lot there. And uh, sometimes I feel like we, we barely even scratch the surface. And even more, I feel like we tend to fall in little groups where we latch on to what the group is about. And that is the extent of our searching. And it's easy to do. I do it myself. I have to break my own bad habits from time to time. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a rather pleasant good morning, almost afternoon. There it is. Uh, we're having weird warm weather. And believe it or not, we are in November and my dahlias are in full gorgeous bloom all the way till now. It's unusual. But Mario, can you tell folks where they can find you and your work and the services you provide? Yeah, absolutely. People can find me at symbolicstudies.com. Generally, what I do is I put out content and information based around the signs of astrology, amongst other things. I offer tarot readings, I have study packets, and you know, if people are interested in learning more about symbolism, they can hit me up and I can help them in their symbolic journey. Okay, cool. That episode that you were recently joined us was 549. The title is Considering the North Star, and then an hour or two we jump into the tarot. It was an interesting episode, particularly we come at it from an unusual angle, which I assume we're probably going to do here with the Zodiac. If you don't have anything, Jason, we'll jump right in. Let's do it. All right. So uh, I appreciate the way you've titled out the first hour, the signs of fall. And the reason I appreciate it is because it conveys the macro to the microcosm idea. In other words, the season fall corresponding to an actual fall in the Zodiac. And so I think we're going to pick up uh, with ideas of the underworld. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. So just to give people a quick background on on how I tend to decode things is I'm very much from the symbolic tradition. So when I'm looking into a sign, say Libra, I'm going through my symbolic reference books and I'm looking into scale symbolism as an example. If I want to learn more about, say, the justice card, I'm looking into sword symbolism and I'm picking it up from a lot of different sources, a lot of different references and not necessarily you know, astrological texts. So that's how I tend to decode things. When doing so, I tend to pick up a lot of little nuances, a lot of myths and storylines and details that I think are kind of overlooked. But regarding the, the fall, it's very interesting because Libra brings us into the fall, right? So most people know that Libra is the scales. And so there's this equal parts uh, day and night sort of balance at the equinoxes. Same thing with Aries when the sun is returning. And to me, what I really see with Libra is that it's actually initiating us uh, into symbolically what could be considered the night side of the Zodiac, which has a huge correspondence with the underworld. So generally, a lot of people say that from Aries to Virgo, this would be considered the day side of the Zodiac. From Libra to Pisces, this would be the night side of the Zodiac. And it actually makes a lot of sense when you start understanding why this is the case. And so when we come into the fall, right, nature is receding. So leaves are falling from trees, you know, over where I'm at, at least. Uh, we have a lot more rain, you know, falling upon us. 
And actually, during the fall and during winter, the roots of different plants, uh, different trees, they start actually getting further into the earth. And I see a huge correspondence between what's known as the underworld and actually the soil underneath our feet. And so clearly, you know, a tree needs to have strong roots in order for it to grow. And so I see that with uh, root medicine, with root symbolism, we're tapping into kind of an older uh, sort of understanding of things. I relate it to almost, you know, um, the origin of where plants literally come from. And it tends to get kind of overlooked because if you're just walking around in nature, you're going to acknowledge, you know, what's above ground, right? You're going to acknowledge the branches and, and the trunk of a tree as an example. But the roots kind of um, get overlooked a bit, and it's understandable why this is the case. And so I see just a huge correspondence between the soil underneath our feet, the root systems of different plants, and also the underworld, and how vitally important it is to uh, basically, I say, um, you know, develop a relationship or an understanding with these sorts of things. So this time of year, we are descending into symbolically the underworld. There's little daylight that's going to be upon us as we move forward throughout the year. And um, Libra basically, in so many ways, really is the sign that brings us into that. Um, there's a reason why there's a lot of myths and traditions where they incorporate the scales uh, as kind of a way to judge your soul or your karma or dharma or whatever you might want to say before actually transitioning over to the other side. And so the scales have been kind of used as a tool to see whether or not you're going to have a favorable transition to the other side. And so to me, that's a really interesting sort of dynamic. Um, people might be familiar with the weighing of the soul's ritual in ancient Egypt. Uh, this is sometimes referred to as psychostasis. And so um, in a lot of ways, the scales kind of represent this gateway of sorts. But it all makes sense with this idea, too, of a dying sun, right? There's a lot of different cultures that believe that the sun uh, dies every night and then is reborn every single morning. So kind of to your point, the micro-macro sort of aspects uh, of everything, um, the dying sun receding and this idea of a sunset too makes a lot of sense with uh, the beginning of fall, which is why the symbol for Libra is literally a sunset. That's how I tend to interpret it. It's a sun uh, going below the horizon line. And so initiating this fall, uh, initiating this dissension. So I, I don't think there's really any arguing the idea that in the Zodiac, which we'll say it represents a year for this conversation, they're pointing out that there's a daytime side and a nighttime side. And basically the difference is the nighttime side is winter when things have gone to sleep. But to get back to your kind of comparison using the tree and the underworld, mm -hmm. I don't think it ever really sank home until I saw an artist take a tree. There was a picture of a tree, but you could see what's above ground and what's below ground. But what he hadn't told you was it was a picture of a tree in winter, so there were no leaves, but he'd inverted it. So actually what you were looking at was the roots were up the way he oriented the picture and the actual tree. And when you saw it, your mind said, oh, there's a tree with its roots. And you didn't even really put together the correspondence that, wait a minute, that tree is upside down. And it's still, you know, you could just see it looked like, you know, your brain put it together as if you were looking at it normally. 
But the other thing I would add before we get too far into the sign of Libra, which I'll have to bring up that it, I, I feel it's an added sign. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think it's nefarious, but it's also a center. And in our culture, we don't really recognize midways or centers as big a deal as they used to. As an example, we are told Chaco Canyon, where the ancient dwellings were at the Four Corners region in the Southwest, uh, we're told, go find the middle. And, you know, the gods or their spiritual, whatever it was, told them this is the middle. And they aligned all those buildings. Well, the equinox is that. Uh, it's a middle. It's a center. When you and I covered the uh, North Star is the idea of centering. So all that is laid at the doorstep of what we're about to talk to. But I'll put on the table because I don't know if you've heard of it. In all the years that I was studying the equinoxes, I found a reference that called the fall equinox, typically associated with Libra, as the silver gate, the opposite spring equinox being the golden gate, which I corresponded out to the bridge. But have you ever heard this called, this time, called the silver gate? I have, yeah, actually. So the silver and golden gate, which is really interesting because of the golden gate bridge, And there's a few other uh, references to this around the world. But yes, I have heard of that. I've actually more so came across golden and silver gates. And this could be a processional sort of thing as it relates to Antares, the heart of the scorpion, which is a royal star, and Aldebaran, which is uh, the eye of the bull in Taurus. And so um, that's where I've heard that reference more so. But I have seen it referenced to Libra as well and Aries, right? Okay, so wait a minute, though. So you pointed out the heart of the scorpion and the eye of the bull, which, by the way, are stars everyone should be able to spot. You should be able to go outside. They're obviously a very distinct color. They're both orangey red. Actually, I think they're both considered in the older way of thinking about astrology as negative in context. But what is the relationship between those two very important stars and the silver gate idea? Well, it's interesting. What I've come across is that when you're looking at Antares, you're looking towards the center of the Milky Way. And when you're looking at Aldebaran, you're, that means you're actually looking away from the center. So I've also heard these gates be referred to as the gate of heaven and the gate of hell. And so when you're talking about bull symbolism in Taurus, you know, it's been the bull was revered, the cow was revered, but it was also. Um, you know, used as kind of a, a demonic sort of um, entity as well. You know, so I think of like Baal or Baal. And so people sacrificing, you know, their firstborn children to this bull god, if you will. So um, that's my understanding of things. And when you look at Scorpio, you do see that it intersects with the Milky Way. And so that's that's my understanding of things, that when you're looking towards Antares, you're looking at a symbolic heart or symbolic center of something. And when you're looking at Aldebaran, you're looking away from it. Um, but Aldebaran has also been looked at as a very holy sort of star. So it was called the Eye of Buddha or the Eye of God. You know, so it's been compared to ideas, you know, relating to enlightenment and ascension and all these other things. So Hmm. it's really interesting when it comes to bull symbolism. I see that there have been extremes on both sides, (laughs) you know, it being really pedestalized and and revered, but then also uh, it being related to other deities that are, you know, related to sacrifice and things like that. Well, the first time I saw the eye of the bull or Aldebaran uh, be viewed as negative was in an astrology dictionary. I wish I could remember the man's name. I'm not good at that. 
but he was a very prominent Western astrology guy who helped put the dictionary together. And his research from the older point of view was that the color alone started to steer you that it was a malefic star, which is interesting because anyone who knows the night sky knows that it's less than a stone throw from the eye of the bull Aldebaran to the Pleiades. Fortunately, with the Pleiades, uh, for people who pay attention, they will know that they're primarily blue to our eyes because of the reflection nebula in front of them. But we have uh, the Bible passage from the book of Job, which informs us that these are sweet influences from the Pleiades. But pulling it back around, um, or and I know I'm getting this off, we'll pull right back around to Libra here in a second. Are you familiar with the spring equinox being referred to as the Golden Gate and the correspondence that I think exists between the actual, I think that the actual way they laid out the Golden Gate Bridge and the symbolism there has to do with exactly what we're talking about, but in spring. Right, right. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. And so to me, the thing that has been really confusing to me, I don't know how you think about things, but... I've seen gate symbolism related to nearly all of the signs and so many other constellations when you break outside of the ecliptic. And so it seems as though I could probably point to some sort of gate metaphor or like overt symbolism or mythology with literally every single sign. And so sometimes I wonder, you know, if these gates, uh, because of procession, you know, the same gate that maybe we're referring to with Aries is actually was shifted over, you know, um, through the ages, you know, and associated with these different signs of sorts. So it becomes a very sort of uh, confusing thing for me, at least, which is why these days I tend to think that a lot of these gates are actually uh, mirroring or evoking perhaps this original gateway, which uh, may exist at the north. And so uh, most of my focus and most of my research these days um, tends to be pointed in that location. But certainly, yeah, there's portals and gateways and all sorts of storylines embedded throughout all of these constellations seemingly, but especially along the ecliptic. So the way that I learned how to, because I had the same problem, everything's a gateway. Why is everything a gateway? And what I came to recognize from the alchemical works and luckily my time in Japan, have you ever seen what's called a Tori gate? It's like, okay, so a Tori gate, anyone can look this up online. So, you know, and they, they get this really interesting color a lot of them and it's interesting because the color changes depending on the sunlight i mean it literally can look a very orangey orange to a very red red and everything in between but the tory gate is what clued me into what we're talking about my confusion about everything being a gate those tory gates mark a symbolic entry into a different I don't know, spiritual area or a, you know, there's something spiritually significant about that threshold. And what I began to realize, and you, you brought it up earlier, the sun dies every day. Well, in a way it does the sun and everything it does and causes and provides today will not be the sun that's tomorrow. And since we know the sun will go from the high point in summer to the low point in winter. In fact, each day it's moving either away from the high point and towards the low point or vice versa. So truly it is almost like what's symbolized in the new moon. And by the way, I accept all day long that it is a new moon. I think that is perfect way to describe it. So when we think about the gateways, I think what I landed on is it truly is because 
this minute and everything that happens in this second or this day is not tomorrow's minute, second or day. So in a way, you're constantly going through the gateways. Right, right. No, that makes perfect sense. I love that. And I think it's interesting, too, that it's called a Tory gate. And so many words that begin with T-O-R or T-A-R or T-A-U go back to Taurus and the Taurus constellation. And so I think that's always a fascinating sort of correspondence there. And when I was looking into the Tory gate, that's one of the things that kind of jumped out at me. Yeah, it's so cool. And I, I would urge people go do a lookup, even if it's on Wikipedia, and pay attention to that color. Interestingly enough, where I am here in New England, people have adopted that color to put on their gates. And you would think that doesn't look New England at all, but it actually does. But the color is amazing. I've forgotten what it's called. Maybe I'll look it up before we get off here. Because truly, the color that meets your eye is wholly dependent on that particular sunlight at that morning. But before we jump back over to Libra, have you ever heard of the idea corresponding to the summer solstice and the winter solstice? And it has to do with death and when you die. But one of them is the gateway of men. The other referred to as the gateway of gods. And I hope I get this right. I'm reasonably sure that the winter solstice is the gateway of the gods. Are you familiar with that? I am. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, I picked that up from my Babylonian research. So uh, generally what I see right is that gateway of man via cancer, which relates to the moon, which uh, pregnancy and childbirth and everything else, very, very lunar. And then uh, the gateway of the gods being related to Capricorn, uh, therefore Saturn. Right. And therefore the earth as well, or even, you know, there's a watery association, obviously, with Capricorn being the sea goat. And so there are different myths about the underworld uh, and hell, you know, not actually being literally under the earth, but actually uh, within a body of water within the ocean. But yeah, absolutely. That, that's a really interesting thread to follow. And you see some of the symbolism, the gateway of man and the gateway of the gods. Um, it really comes into play when you look and decode some Freemasonic tracing boards. They're kind of basically showing you the symbolism, you know, pretty overtly, I would say. But yeah, being a cancer, when I first learned that, it, it really resonated with me on a few levels. What is it that the Freemasons are demonstrating? Because I'm always curious what they'll encode in their artwork. Yeah, sure. So uh, when you look at Royal Arch Freemasonry tracing boards, you'll notice that a lot of the times what you're going to see are um, a set of pillars, right, with an arch going over the pillars, connecting the two. And in the middle of the arch, you're going to see a keystone. And this keystone, a lot of the times, literally has the cancer glyph within the keystone. And a lot of times underneath the structure that these arches and, and the pillars are within, you're going to see symbolism, you know, related to death. You're going to see the coffin. You're going to see a skull, things like that. And so it actually makes a direct sort of correspondence between some of the symbolism that we're talking about. And cancer being the keystone is actually really fascinating and really interesting because the idea is that this keystone, when removed, allows light to come in. And so it's not uncommon to see like the eye of providence, right? An eye inside of a triangle shining light through the hole in the middle of the archway where the cancer keystone generally is. And so um, to me, the birth symbolism or, or coming from this other place, descending into this realm, if you will, to me, it makes a lot of sense that actually what they're referring to is this gateway of man. Amongst other things, there's, there's a lot of information completely related to it. 
And then if you just follow sort of that line further down, you're going to eventually see, you know, on the ground, uh, symbolism related to Saturn, related to Capricorn, things like that. But when you look into their work, I see gateway of man and, and gateway of the gods all day long when I tend to look at it. All right. I had a direction I wanted to go, but we've kind of pulled you off uh, your notes. Oh, no let's, worries. Let's pull it back around. We were about to do a symbolic overview of Libra. And I have to bring up that during the course of my studies, looking at the equinoxes, I was fortunate enough to get access to one of the oldest libraries in the country. And I got a star map. It was old. I don't remember exactly how old, but hundreds of years old. And uh, that's when I began to realize that Libra was added in. And as I searched, I found, oh, of course, I should have known because the two main stars, there are no really bright stars in Libra, but the two two of the main stars actually still hold the name uh, Northern Claw of the Scorpion and Southern Claw, Zubinel Shanubi and Zubinel Shamali, or however they're properly called, which proves that at one time that was actually... Uh, still the scorpion. So I don't know if you want to address that or you want to jump straight into the symbolic overview of Libra. And I, I should add, at first I thought this might have been kind of a conniving thing that was done. And now not so much. I think maybe it was changed to reflect our time and our calendar. Mm, I see. Yeah, no, I love that connection. I've noticed that as well. And so there's even sky maps, uh, illustrated sky maps where you can see the claws of the scorpion within the pans of Libra, making that connection for further driving that home. Um, but I love what you said regarding Lib Libra being the center. That's absolutely the case. And actually center symbolism, uh, which we talked about on the last show, really comes into play here uh, on a few different levels. So it's the seventh sign of the Zodiac, right? So it divides the first half of the Zodiac and the second half of the Zodiac. So it's balancing these two halves, right? And what I'll say about the number seven is that there's a lot of different beliefs that it takes seven steps, seven, there's seven gates or there's seven veils or there's seven spheres to cross through in order to get to the underworld, in order to get to the other side. I did a presentation called Seven Gates to the Great Beyond. And there's actually a system of alchemy called Azoth alchemy, and they use seven steps as well. So the number seven is hugely important here. Um, it seems as though the number seven really is kind of the number of this domain, of this reality. Um, obviously, you know very well about all of that. Uh, I think we talked about some of this stuff last time, right? But uh, the scales, to me, on a more practical sort of level, because there is a practical side to the Zodiac. And I would say, too, that there's an impractical side to the Zodiac and not necessarily in a bad way. But there's a practical side that the layman or the farmer or the average person can learn a lot from. And I think that's what's being encoded in a lot of these signs. So to me, we had just, um, you know, prior to Libra, we were just in Virgo. So Virgo, she's the harvest maiden, right? So she's the grain goddess. So she's related to grain. Libra is the scales that symbolically weighs that grain. And so this is part of my understanding of things is that um, the scales themselves provide a function based on where they're at in the year. And so you need to be able to weigh these grains. You need to be able to weigh uh, goods in order to know their market value. Regarding Libra, 
potentially being added, that's something that I think is very interesting too, because what I've heard over the years is that potentially Virgo was one large constellation. I've heard variations on the theme that Virgo may have been one large constellation and Libra actually divided it in half. And so therefore you have Virgo, Libra, Scorpio. It's very interesting that Virgo and Scorpio each share a very similar glyph. And so the glyph for Virgo is an M with an embedded fish. To me, this is related to Pisces, the opposite sign of Virgo. And then you have the glyph for Scorpio, which is an M and a little arrow. It kind of looks like the stinger of a scorpion. And they both rest on the sides of Libra. So it's almost like Libra is literally balancing the scales of these two signs that it potentially divided at some point. And so Virgo is on the day side of the Zodiac. Scorpio is on the night side of the Zodiac. And so to me, both of these signs, actually all three of these signs are very, very feminine. So it's almost like it's weighing the two halves of the feminine, this sort of day side sort of aspect with Virgo, which Virgo symbolism is related to bridal symbolism and it's related to veil symbolism. And so hence the virgin, you know, uh, virginity, meaning back in the day, uh, being unwed. And so once you get married, that was the symbolic end of your virginity. And so Virgo relates to the veil. And to me, Scorpio and Libra as well represents piercing the veil. And here with Scorpio, you literally have a stinger, something that actually pierces, something that actually can poke and prick. And so to me, I can kind of make sense with this whole entire idea of Libra being introduced, and now it's weighing these two sides, right? You know, that's fascinating because I've heard a lot of people try to describe why the Virgo M symbol for zodiacal symbology and uh, the, the Scorpion M with the little stinger on the end of it, why they exist that way. And it, I'll give you props. What you just said is a very, very interesting idea. Uh, also, we should keep in mind, if you go look up, you know, what's Zodiac mean, it's always going to be zoo or animals. Well, the scales, the only thing that's not alive, right? The scale is right. not a living sign. It's a, a mechanical device. Uh, the other interesting thing is, is the letter M in our language, which is the dominant language in the world probably right now or getting to be, uh, it's 13. It's the midway point of our uh it's the center of of our alphabet but i had never considered what you just said about the symbology i've always i've wondered for a good explanation why are they both m's and i've you know there's quite a few on offer out there but they never quite do it for me in other words i never find them quite acceptable but that's the other thing it's not an animal so that also kind of tells us that it wasn't part of the old zodiac right right yeah you know, to me, what makes a lot of sense, I just did a presentation about this and I referred to it as the axis of Libra. And so when I started looking into scale symbolism, again, outside of an astrological work or an astrological reference book or something along these lines. But when you look into scale symbolism, it's interesting in that the stars of Ursa Major and Minor have been referred to as the jade scales and the world axis has been looked at as literally the vertical axis of a scale. And so um, to me, that's a really interesting sort of correspondence there. And what you're seeing with when you just imagine a very simple set of scales, right? 
you have the pans. So you arguably have a pan that represents the masculine and the feminine, right? You can almost imagine a sun in one pan and a moon in the other pan. Well, the vertical axis that allows the pans to do their thing, uh, to get an accurate, accurate measure, it precedes the lunar and it precedes the solar. So really what you're dealing with is the vertical axis of the scale is a symbol, in my opinion, of the world axis. And so it is outside of this lunar solar paradigm. It's actually more of a polar symbol or it's a stellar symbol. So if you look at the uh, uh, tree of life, the Kabbalistic tree of life, you know, the two pillars on the sides represent the masculine and the feminine, the light and the dark, whatever you might want to say. But there's that middle pillar that goes above and below the other two pillars because it's the true pillar of transcendence. And so when I see the Kabbalistic tree of life now, you can pretty much imagine or overlay the scales on top of it. And it's that middle pillar, which is the middle way. That's weighing these two opposites. And when you look at the justice card, which corresponds uh, with Libra, she is sitting in between two pillars. And so she is saying, I am the middle way. I am truly neutral in order for this balancing act to even be achieved. So to your point, it is an inanimate object, right? It's not an animal. It's not a person. But what I think it's actually referencing is perhaps one of the deepest sort of uh, symbols out there, which is the world axis, which very much relates to the pillar, to the column, to the post. You know, there's a lot of different cultures out there that have pole symbolism, you know, in their mythology, things like that. So that's what I tend to see with everything. And I, I just did a video about it, if people are interested. Do we know how far back that goes by any chance? The uh, The polar symbolism? Well, just the scales in general, how far back and from what culture might that have originated from? You know, I'm I'm actually not really sure. Crow might have something to say about that. Do you know when maybe this splitting perhaps happened? Well, man, I wish some of the people who worked on the uh, I don't I, I know I'm not going to be able to find the thread as we sit here and wait. But there's a thread where we were all working on the equinoxes and I had presented the maps and scanned them. Some of the membership here was helping me cleaned them up. And what I noticed right out the gate was there were all these beautifully drawn zodiacal signs in the map and other constellations. And all of a sudden I came to Libra, it was a line drawing. Mm. It's like one of these things is not like the other. I want to say it was either the 14 or the 1600s, maybe 14 is too far back. Maybe it was the, maybe it was the late 15 or early 1600s. I just don't recall at this point. But if that is correct, and it will just say it was the early 1600s, and it was being still kind of penciled in like a line drawing, to me, that kind of tells us that it was a new idea then. Other than that, I can't tell you. And I have a feeling we're about to get into the etymology of Libra. Yeah. There are some little clues here and there. And what's funny is back in the day, nobody was openly admitting that the two stars in Libra were basically northern and southern claws of the scorpion. Now it's everywhere. And when we get into the etymology, if you go to places like Etym Online, you'll see they're openly admitting it now. So for some reason, it used to not be talked about, and now it is, but let's take the jump. Let's get into the etymology and you know we'll, we'll lay down the clues that we can. I wish I knew the date. I have a feeling 
that it might correspond with that period of time that we feel like is before the Renaissance by the mainstream timeline, when globes start showing up and planispheres, which are globes of the heavens. Uh, I have a feeling it might be in that area, but I'm not sure. Very interesting. Yeah. So my style of etymology, I I like to find related words like that are obviously correlated and correspond with the original word that I'm trying to decode. I also like to find words within words. And so that's probably one of my favorite things. And so as an example, you have Libra, right? Being the first five letters of library. And so there's actually a huge correspondence with Libra and uh, Liber, which means book, right? And also the law, right? So when they want someone, when you want someone to get in trouble with the law, someone might say, uh, let's throw the book at them, right? And so I also think of like the book of the law as an example by Crowley. And he even literally has the feathers of Ma'at on the cover of the book of the law. I guess maybe some editions, which uh, Ma'at essentially is the Libra correspondence, you know, in Egypt. And so she has the feather of truth. This is what your heart or soul is weighed against in the weighing of the soul's ritual. And so you have the word library. There's lots of uh, book symbolism that relates to Libra as well because of this sword connection. The sword is, in my opinion, it's a world axis symbol. It's it's no mistake that justice uh, in the justice card that she's holding two items. She's holding the scales and she's holding a sword. I think it's fascinating that sword is an anagram for words or literally has word baked right into that word sword and so sword and word very much related uh your words can cut like swords i also think it's worth mentioning real quick that what does the sword do it divides and so it'll take one the one and split it into two so again i think of the pans and this duality or polarity that's being uh, weighed against each other you'll also see that words like liberty can go back to libra Also, uh, you're probably familiar with this, but the abbreviation for pound, LB, goes back to Libra. And this is because uh, Libra Pondo was actually a weight of measurement in the old world, which directly came from Libra. So a Libra Pondo was what they used instead of a pound. And this is really interesting because you can see remnants of this all over the place still. So as an example... The British pound, or all of the countries that use a pound, generally the glyph that they use to denote a pound is an L with a dash through it. This is a direct reference to Libra. And so Libra being the scales, obviously, you're going to want to weigh gold and metals, precious metals and things like that. And so you can see how this correspondence probably developed over the years. Libra pondo to the pound. And then the pound um, also uh, representing to the hashtag, right? The pound sign. This actually goes back to the LB abbreviation. So according to my research, the LB abbreviation to denote the pound had many sort of um, evolutions over the years. And I made a video about this too. But uh, what's claimed or what's said is that the LB, when written in cursive, eventually would transition over into looking very close to the modern day hashtag or pound sign. And it's interesting, too, because the pound sign seemingly has always been related to technology. 
And so Libra being an air sign, uh, I think is really interesting in technology, especially modern technology, relying so much on numbers, right? Computer code and things like that. I think that's always been a curious sort of thing that the hashtag always relates to numbers. It always relates to technology. And in fact, the pound sign on our telephone keypad was introduced as a way for telephones to be able to interact and interface with computers. And so that's why it was introduced, you know, however many decades ago by uh, Bell Laboratories. So I, I think you're spot on. And the way you linked it to the pound, perfect. I, I've not heard anyone do it. I accept all day long that it's related to pound. And actually, if you go into the etymology, one of the things you'll find is the old English or Latin Libra, which, you know, Latin Libra is a balance or a pale of scares, but it was also a pound, which is a unit of weight from the Proto-Italic. It was called Lithra, which was also a pound. And then there was a Sicilian coin called a Litra. So instead of a B, there's a T. Instead of Libra, it's Litra. And that gives you the, uh, the crossover. But if you do the etymological lookup on the word Libra, get this, not a separate constellation in ancient Greece where it was Kele, the claws of adjacent Scorpios. But here's the kicker. And this is where you were really killing it on the way that you view the symbolism because you know to look for the words within the words. In the etymology chain, they'll relate the word Libra to, wait for it, caliber, because Libra oh. is in calib. Libra is in caliber. So now we're talking about the inside diameter of a gun barrel and casting, but it gets better. Then they'll link it to the word deliberate because Libra is in there as well. So it's crazy where you can go. But here's really where I think uh, the tire hits the road in connecting the idea to the money, which you did very succinctly. I think probably what happened is the money people knew enough to include the power of the stars. And there's that old quote from, who is it? JP Morgan, I think. Millionaires don't need astrology, billionaires do. You can actually look that up. So one of the richest guys known at the time is saying millionaires don't know dick about astrology, but billionaires need it. And that's a big tell. But here's the thing. Have you ever considered back in the day, if you went to Wall Street, the basis of it all would have been bullion. That's pulled straight from the Zodiac. When you put the words bull and lion together, you get bullion, which is the proof in the pudding. Right, right. Excellent. That's really, really interesting for a few different reasons, because I have to add that the Hebrew letter that corresponds with justice is Lamed, which means ox goad, which is basically a poker that you use to get your ox, which is a castrated bull in line. And so to me, there's actually several ways to kind of infer um, bull symbolism or cow symbolism as it relates to justice uh, and as it relates to Libra, excuse me. And so some people have even said that literally the glyph for Libra reminds them of the name is escaping me right now. But when you want to harness a bull, right, or you want to harness a cow or a horse, a yoke, a plow, a yoke. Exactly. Thank you. So that uh, the Libra glyph kind of looks like an ox yoke or a yoke for a bull. And so some people have made that connection. And so in a few different ways, the bull does relate to seemingly uh, so many different 
symbolic rabbit holes. But as you're saying, I, I can make sense of, out of everything you just mentioned, including the bull thing, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm with you. It does look like a yoke, and I've considered it, particularly if you look across the zodiacal wheel. But the one that I think is most valuable is your observation that it's the sun going down. And it is the midway point. And in the glyph, the sun is halfway over the, you know, basically the ecliptic or what's going to be the uh, the equator, actually, I think. And if that is true, it's exactly what we're talking about. Everything relates to the sun. Everything relates to the zodiac. And when you have a man like J.P. Morgan making a comment like that, what the hell more do you need to know? Do you think that these successful people were just the luckiest of the lucky or were they using tools for that matter? Did they have access to very old information that maybe not everybody did? Sure. Jason, anything you want to get in here? Because I'm Bogart and everything. No, not really. But I will comment that the Reagans used astrology very, very openly. All you got to do is look it up. Yeah, I think mm. the claim was that Nancy was sneaking them in the back door. And if I'm not mistaken, the idea was that Ron Bo had lost his marbles and that Nancy was actually running the show, or at least that's one of the mainstream narratives. So we have the correspondences and we haven't even touched Scorpio. So where do you want to go here, Mario? Yeah, let's talk about Scorpio. And let's talk about the fact that Halloween and the Day of the Dead fall within Scorpio season. And so this is what I'm referring to with this underworld sort of concept as well, or piercing the veil, piercing the veil that I think is heavily attributed to Virgo. So this is the time of year where a lot of people believe that contact with your ancestry is perhaps more viable or is more easily achieved during this time of year, right? So people say that the veil is thin right now. And so to me, Scorpio is the perfect sign to have these different holidays take place. So obviously, Scorpio uh, is the scorpion. It's been said, this is kind of a esoteric tradition to say that the scorpion or Scorpio rather has three main emanations or expressions, and that would be the scorpion itself, the serpent, and the eagle slash phoenix. So this is why when you're looking at tarot cards and you see an eagle in a corner, say on the world card or, uh, you know, a lot of times it's on the Wheel of Fortune card as well. Uh, that eagle is symbolic of Scorpio. And when you look at Scorpio in the night sky, which I'm sure you have and know this very well, but it looks very bird like you can actually see that perhaps uh, there is this bird like expression in there, but it also looks serpentine in nature as well. And so uh, these three expressions, uh, I think, are very, very interesting. So once again, the scorpion, the serpent, or the eagle slash phoenix. And there's even some tarot cards that will embed all three of these creatures in there. But regarding the scorpion itself, to me, this is how I tend to decode. So if I want to learn more about Scorpio, I watch scorpion videos. I read about the scorpion, about the nature of the scorpion, its habits, you know, how it reproduces, all of these different types of things. I do the same thing with all the animals of the zodiac. And it's really incredible, all of the little things that you pick up over time. But one of the things to me that's really fascinating is the fact that the scorpion really does look like it's built for battle, you know, which means that it's gone through a lot. <laughs> and so it needs to protect itself. And so it looks like it's ready to fight at any point. And we actually have a lot of scorpions around where I live. And so over the last few years, I've been fortunate enough to kind of just 
witness how they operate and how they move. Uh, we've had a few, you know, um, somehow get into the house and they're really, it's, it's very surprising to see a scorpion in your home. And just even though they're so small, they're still really intimidating. Right. And so it has those two claws. Right. And then it has its stinger. So this stinger has venom. And so it's capable of killing things uh, many times larger than itself. And it's also capable of committing suicide. So this is something that I find to be really, really intriguing, given the nature of Scorpio and given the fact that it's also the sign that corresponds with the death card. And so it's been said that the scorpion commits suicide when it's actually um, kind of its back is against the wall. And so for whatever reason, there's a lot of older reference books that say that when you put a scorpion within a ring of fire, that it'll commit suicide because it has no way to escape. And then it kind of crumbles under the pressure. When you look into this online in today's world, for whatever reason, all of the mainstream sources out there say that this is not a real phenomenon, that this does not happen. This doesn't occur. Yet I've seen it repeated and, and talked about in a lot of books that I have around. And you can actually find videos of this happening. You can find videos of a scorpion being trapped and it turns on itself and it stings itself many times very, very quickly and it'll take itself out. And so to me, this lines up very, very well with the scorpionic sort of uh, symbolism that I've come to know that's associated with the sign, right? And so I think that's a really interesting thing. Uh, the mantra that's associated with Scorpio is I desire. I know you're aware of this, but every single zodiac sign is related to a part of the human body. And Scorpio relates to the genitals. And so really everything about Scorpio is about sex and death. And it's also been said that literally the orgasm has been related to a little death. The French call it that. Actually, I think in France, uh, it, it literally translates to the small death. Yes, yes, exactly right. And to me, symbolically, what I picked up over time is that actually there is a correspondence with the act of sex and going to the underworld. And I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and he says that some tantric philosophers and authors and stuff like that, that they just overtly say that. So there is a very close relationship um, that was unbeknownst to me many years ago between sex and and with death. And so uh, there is this underworld correspondence with sexuality, right? And even uh, I think of literally the, the letter X and XXX and sex and how X implies death when someone's dead, right? It's not uncommon in a cartoon or something to put X's over its eyes, right? To me, X, uh, the letter X definitely implies this sort of journey, the journey beyond, right? I think even the cross you know, is obviously related to the X. You're going to see the cross in cemeteries and graveyards and stuff. So I can actually add something to that. The flip side of the death you're referring to or the little death in the orgasm, uh, the flip side of that is the creative force in the orgasm and the ancient kind of occult teaching, which isn't that hard to figure out for anyone who wants to think, is that if you have sex and a child, Uh, There is no connection to having lost life or little death or any of that. You've engaged in the purpose for sex to recreate, to use your God-given creative force. And that is really the teaching. How many times 
Have you heard about the Vestal Virgins and the power that the virgins have? Well, there's actually something to that. But I wanted to pull back around because you touched on a very important thing when you begin to touch on the four, I guess I'll call them the cardinal points. Uh, In the world tarot card, in the four corners, you will find exactly what I'm going to talk about, which is pulled straight from the Bible. In the Bible, the four of the key gospel, I guess we'll call them saints, some people do, are symbolized. So Matthew, known as the king in some circles, is the lion. Mark, kind of a lowly servant, the ox. Luke, sometimes referred to as a son of man, is the man. And John, the eagle. Now, John is the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. The reason they're called synoptic is they're seeing with one eye. John is the one that is not synoptic. Now, think about what I'm telling you there. This is deeper knowing about the Bible. This is why I always talk about only knowing the surface narrative or getting a bit deeper. This is a little bit deeper, not super deep, a little bit. The synoptic idea is referring to the activation of the third eye or the pineal, not all seeing, but it has that power that you don't even need your regular eyes because your spiritual vision is so increased by the activation of this. Now to pull it back around, Matthew is the lion, which is Leo. Mark is being encoded as the ox, which is Taurus the bull. Luke is Aquarius, which is the man And John is the eagle, which is actually Scorpio. Some people like to say that that eagle is actually a phoenix rising from its own ashes, which actually makes a little more sense because as Mario pointed out, Scorpio stands in for the genitals on the human wheel of where the Zodiac is. The idea here, or at least the way I've seen it expressed, is that when you master those lower animal urges, then you begin to flower and bloom. And from a scorpion, you become the phoenix or the eagle. Now, if you go back into all the biblical ideas and what is this, the book of Ezekiel, I think, uh, where these this symbology is first tied to the saints, you'll see that this is actually being expressed in the Bible. And by the way, in old Christian art, when you see these particular gospel saints, it'll be called a tetramorph, typically, in art. So these constellations that I've just told you are critical cardinal points. At least they were in the ancient sky at that time. And there's a direct relationship to the procession of the equinox or the changing of the ages and the solstices and equinoxes. And I'm sorry, that was a lot of words, Mario. Oh, no, you're good. I love it, man. I'm here for it. And they all each have a royal star. All of those constellations, right? A nice. Let's name them. So, in let's do it in order. So, Matthew would be the lion, the royal star. Regulus. Regulus. Regulus is in the lion. It should be a star that you can visibly ID. It is very easy. It is a gorgeous kind of diamond crisp blue. The next one would be Mark, uh, the Gospel of Saint Mark. He's sometimes referred to as a lowly servant. He's the ox. And that would be the bull, which you've already mentioned. So the royal star in Taurus, the bull is? Aldebaran. Aldebaran should be a star that you can recognize. It's gorgeous. It is a kind of almost sinister orangey red, I guess, but it's beautiful. 
Next up would be Luke, who is symbolized by the man and sometimes associated with the idea of the son of man. And that is the constellation of Aquarius, the royal star being. So is it a formal hot? I don't know if I've ever actually said it before. Formal hot is the way I say it. Gotcha. Okay. That's actually just not far from the southern fish. Mm. And formal hot would not be as easy. And of course, we have touched on John the one gospel that is not seeing with one eye, that is not synoptic, and that would be not, he's encoded as the eagle because he has transfigured himself above the base animal. So now he's the soaring eagle or the phoenix, but the royal star in the scorpion you've already mentioned. Right, and Terra's. And Terry's, and that's another one that you should be able to easily pick out with your eye. It's kind of a gorgeous blazing i don't know what would you call it? i'd call it maybe more orangey to my eyes yeah yellow yeah, yellowy orangey sure yes exactly right 100 percent. and actually for those who are interested in bible study you will find these listed as the four living creatures basically from the book of ezekiel but that's not the only place they show up but i think we're getting way past the top of the hour here mario one more time tell folks where they can find you and your work Sure. Symbolicstudies.com. You can find all my links there, including my YouTube and Twitter and things like that. All right. Mario also offers tarot readings, private lessons, and elementary study packets and digital downloads are available. With that, I got to close up hour one of episode 554. There's a lot more on the other side, a lot more symbology. And this is my wheelhouse. And I love talking with people who have a different point of view. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com. Members know to log in for the full two hour or two hour plus episode, particularly now they tend to run long. And members get access to all the forums. Members can create forums. They have free hand at interacting in comments under every episode and free access to the quite popular film called Shoot the Moon that Jason put together based on my five or six years of nonstop telescopic and high-end camera shooting. It's got 10 awards in the world now. With that, we're going to wrap up. I hope to see you all on the other side logged in as a member. There's a lot you miss if you only catch hour one. But we're going to prep up and we'll be back shortly. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.
enemies of knowing. <laughs>